know, happy Resurrection Sunday. You know, we, we have been building towards this day for weeks, right? We've been building towards this celebration for quite a while, and we have been, we have been leaning in and we have been listening to the last words of Jesus as he was dying on the cross. Those last words, if you've been with us throughout this series, they have at times brought up some really difficult questions for us to think about in life. There have been some difficult questions that create some tension in our faith. If you missed any of those, you can go back and get caught up on our website. But those, those last words have brought up, I think, some really good things for us to think through in our faith and, and the way that we look at life. And now all the last words have been spoken. And today represents the day that Jesus flipped the script. You know this phrase? When we say flip the script, well, what we mean by that, uh, maybe you've heard the phrase uh, turn the tables or turn things upside down. When we play games as a family at, at our house, uh, there are certain games that have this card in them, and it's like the best card and the worst card all at the same time. You've, you ever play a game where the card is switch places with the person whoever, right? Switch places with the person who has the most money or whatever the card is, but switching, switching places with another player. And you could, be, you could be like dead last in the game, and your brother is about to win the game, like two moves away from winning the game, and then you lay down the switch places card. And, and just like that, you go from almost losing to winning the game. And for you, like, that's the best card in the whole game. Uh, not for your brother, it's like the worst card in, in the whole game. That is what we mean by flipping the script. And it's what Jesus did on Resurrection Sunday. Friday looked like the worst day in history. It looked like the, the end of hope. But then on Sunday, when the stone was rolled away from the entrance to the tomb that held Jesus' body, it was empty. The worst day ever just became the greatest day in human history because Jesus conquered sin and Jesus conquered death. He laid down the switch places card on the cross. He took the punishment for our sin he gave us the opportunity to win the game where the prize is eternal life. We would have been hopelessly lost in our sin if Jesus had not come to flip the script for us. So since today is about celebrating Jesus flipping the script on sin and flipping the script on death, I thought we should also flip the script on this whole series, because all the last words of Jesus from the cross, they've all been spoken. So why not listen to the first words of Jesus after the resurrection? So that's what we're going to do this morning. So here we go. What were the first words of Jesus after the resurrection? Now, if, if, if you're familiar with the story, you might know this. Like if you've read this story year after year after year, you might know some of the first words of Jesus. But if you don't, if you had to guess, let's just imagine you didn't know the story, and I said, just guess, what, what would you think the first words of Jesus would be after the resurrection? You might think, oh, I don't know, I told you so, maybe that would be his first words. Think about yourself, if, this, uh, if, if you were thought to have been dead, if everyone thought you were dead, right, hashtag sad, you, you died, and then, and then you showed up three days after the funeral, right, 
hashtag miracle, what would you say when you walked into the room full of sad people? What would you do? Now, it's going to depend on your personality, right? Some of you would be like, honey, I'm home. I'm back. Some of you would be like that. Uh, some of you would be all nonchalant about it, like you'd walk in eating an apple. Hey, guys, what's going on? Right? Some of you would be like that. Some of you ornery people would be hiding somewhere, and you'd jump out and say boo. Like Some of you I know are like that. Most of us, I'm sure, you're way more mature than that, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't mess with people who are mourning your loss. Well, thankfully, we don't need to guess. We don't need to guess about the first words of Jesus after the resurrection because they were recorded for us by eyewitness testimony of those who actually heard what Jesus said. So I'm going to invite you, if you would, go with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to read some portions of what was recorded about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to start in verse 1 because we need to set the stage. We need to set the scene for this moment as we lead up to the first words of Jesus after the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 1 says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple. Now, just so you have a reference, if you've never read this story, John's referring to himself in, in early writing at this time. It, it was uh, bad form uh, to put your name in there. So he's referring to himself in that sense, the, the one that this other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. Okay? So he's talking about John. So you've got Peter and John. They're running, they're running to the tomb. Now, I find this fascinating. They're both running, uh, but then John makes sure that for all of history, we know that he was faster than Peter. And he says, they're both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So good for you, John. You win. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth they had covered Jesus' head was, was folded up, lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, just in case you missed that point, also went in and he saw and he believed. For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus said, or that, that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then, and then they went home. So this, this sets the stage for what we're about to see next, where Mary then is standing outside the tomb. And notice what she's doing. In verse 11, she's, she's crying. And we understand that. She's crying. Uh, she wept. She, she stooped and she looked in. She saw the two white-robed uh, angels, one sitting at the head, one at the other uh, foot of the place uh, where, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said, dear woman, why, why are you crying? And the, uh, the angels asked her, because. And she gives the reason. She gives the reason why she's upset. Because they've taken away my Lord. I, I don't know where they put him. Well, then she turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. Now, it, it's Jesus, and, and we know it's Jesus, but she didn't in that moment. She didn't recognize him. And then verse 15, we hear the first words of Jesus after the resurrection. And the words are this, dear woman, why are you crying? 
Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I'll go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. And then he says, don't cling to me. I, I still haven't yet ascended to the Father. Go, tell, go find my brothers. Tell them I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She gave them this message. Why are you crying? The first words of Jesus came out in the form of a question that he already knew the answer to, and I find that fascinating. And when you read the context of this question, it's not, it's not a condescending question. That's not the tone of the question. It's not, it's not what, are, what are you belly aching about, lady? You know, get a hold of yourself and get on with life. That is not the tone of that question. Jesus knew why she was crying. She, he, he knew why she was hurting. But Jesus stepped into that moment with Mary. And so he asked her that question from a heart of compassion. He asked her that question from a heart of love. Now, you might read that and, and say to yourself, oh, that, that was nice of Jesus, and then just move on. But I want us to flip the script on this. Let's turn the tables. Let's lay down the switch places card with Mary. This moment from Mary's life, I think it applies to our lives in two ways. First, when I read that and I think, I think about who Jesus is and what he's willing to do from a heart of love and compassion, it brings me comfort to know that Jesus will meet us where we are. He'll meet us in our pain. He will meet us in our despair. He will meet us in our feelings of hopelessness. He will seek us out to bring us comfort because He genuinely loves us. He genuinely cares about us. How do I know that? Well, in Romans uh, chapter 8, I, I've read this passage to you before in the series. I just want to remind you of it because I think sometimes... You know, there are seasons of life that are hard, there are seasons of life that we go through, and they're painful, and there might be this question that, that attacks your mind, attacks your heart, like, is God mad at me? Is God out to get me? I don't, I don't understand. Now, there are times in life when, when the, the things that we're going through, the painful things that we're experiencing are because we made poor choices, right? That happens sometimes, but it's not always the case. And sometimes we experience difficulty in life because we live in a broken world that's been broken by sin, it's been cursed by sin, and there's just terrible things that happen. And there are times, sometimes, in, like in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, look at that with me, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? And you might wonder that, has... Is, does God no longer love me? Why am I experiencing this? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? And I don't know if you ever asked that question or felt that way. But the answer is here, as Scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day, we're being slaughtered. The answer, verse 37, is no. Just simply put no, that's not what it means. Despite all of these things, and they are reality, these are difficult, painful things that, that people experience in life, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. 
Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. There is nothing. There's a whole list of things here in this next section. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus. I share with you a passage of Scripture several weeks ago that, that is important to my heart. Uh, when when the, the Israelites were going through a, a difficult period in their history and in exile and uh, wondering, is this ever going to change? Are things ever going to get better? Uh, God didn't instantly remove uh, the, the suffering from their lives because there was a purpose in it. But he did make them a promise. He made them a promise, lots, lots of the examples of this, but Isaiah 43 is one of those examples. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. I didn't abandon you. I didn't forget who you are. I didn't forget where, where you are or what you're experiencing. And then God says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take you uh, right now out of this difficult situation. Sometimes God does that. But sometimes God just says, I'm going to walk with you through this. And I'm going to bring you comfort and strength. and Make sure it doesn't overwhelm you. Just trust me. I find great comfort in that. You hear, when, you, when you hear Jesus asking, why, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? It's not from a heart of condescension. It's from a heart of compassion and love. I think the second reason why it's important for us to step into this moment with, with Mary, if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm sure uh, at some point someone taught you that what it means to follow Jesus is that we're to be like Jesus. We're to uh, continue to imitate Jesus and, and learn how he responds to things and what did he teach us and, and how to, to live life. We're to be, make this effort to be like Jesus. And that means that there's going to be times in life when we need to step into the moments of pain, the moments of difficulty that other people are experiencing and offer them hope, offer them comfort, offer them love. The New Testament is full of challenges to do this. There's uh, verses that say, bear the burdens of one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. And I don't want you to miss this. I want you to pay careful attention to Jesus' response when she tells him the reason for her tears and sadness. Now, he already knows the answer, but he waits for her to respond. And his response to her is this. He just simply says, Mary, just says her name. Mary. And in that moment, she realized that Jesus is alive. And that flipped the script for Mary. That turned that whole moment upside down. It turned her tears of sorrow into tears of joy. And I want you to think about how it is that Jesus was able to step into that moment of sadness and despair in Mary's life. He was able to do that because he is alive. Dead people don't do that. He did that because he is alive, and he knew that his resurrection would flip the script on her sorrow. Many of you have been around long enough to know that uh, my dad, this would be three years uh, this past week that, that he died. And if you've been coming here uh, for a little while, you also know that, you remember the announcement video that we just watched, those guys, uh, so Jared... Uh, he lost his dad. 
Pastor Caleb lost his mom. So this is all within about three years uh, that we've, we've all gone through this. And um, when, when Jared and I uh, went down to the funeral in Hagerstown for Pastor Caleb's mom, you know, that's a difficult thing. And, uh, Jared, for sure, was closer uh, to that moment of losing his dad than I was, a little farther out from me. Uh, but, you know, if you've, if you've lost someone and then you step into a viewing or you step into a funeral, uh, those, those feelings of sorrow and loss are still kind of right under the surface for you, right? You get that. And uh, so that's, we take that with us into that moment, and we're, we're sitting there at the, at the funeral. And right before the service started, they, they played the Casting Crown song, The Only Scars in Heaven. Now, some of you know that song, right? Beautiful song, brutal to listen to. If if uh, and not in a bad way. I mean, it's just it's an it's an amazing song that talks about uh, our our loved ones who have trusted Jesus and and being in heaven. And I tell you that to say uh, that my we we listened to that song and my face I don't think dried the entire time we were there from that moment on. And. And I, don't, I couldn't even look, I couldn't look at, at Jared, because if I looked over at him, I'd cry more. He has that effect on me anyway, but. <laughs> but why, why would someone, why, why would we put ourselves into a place where our own hurt, our own pain, was bound to bubble up over the surface so easily? I mean, that's normal. Yeah, we love Caleb. Yeah, he's our brother in Christ, so there's that. But I think the main reason that we're able to step into situations like that is because Jesus is alive. That's why. My dad, Jared's dad, Caleb's mom, they are in heaven because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That hope beyond this life only exists because Jesus is alive. And so for the follower of Jesus, we can allow ourselves to feel the pain of sorrow and loss and even feel the pain of sorrow and loss in, in someone else's life. We can step into that space with them because Jesus is alive. Why, why are you weeping? It's not a, it's not a question of condescension. It's, it's, a, it's a question of love and compassion and a reminder, a reminder that Jesus is alive and we have hope beyond the grave because of it. Let's look at some more first words of Jesus after the resurrection. Go, go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to jump into verse 36. So, the context of this, uh, Jesus had been with these two guys that were on their way to this, uh, this place called Emmaus, and he, he shared with them who he was and how the Old Testament scriptures all talked about him. And, uh, and so we, we jump back in this scene to verse 36. It says, and just as they were telling, uh, were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And he says this, peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. That's a normal, I think, reaction to that moment. But listen to what Jesus asks. 
Why are you frightened? So his first words are, peace be with you. And then he says, why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet, and they still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. (laughs) Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? I I wonder if Jesus could ask you those questions this morning. I wonder if you could lay down the, the, the switch places card on this one, and, and can you relate to how the disciples must have been feeling? I, I know that I can. I know for sure that there are, there are days, there are moments in my life when I hear Jesus asking those questions of me. You know, right now we, we are sitting in a room full of people And I don't know which ones of you think that Cadbury eggs are delicious and it troubles me. I mean, it makes me wonder what other bad judgments you are capable of. I'm kidding about that, but I'm not kidding when I say that there are days when I hear Jesus ask me, Mark, why are you troubled? Why are you troubled? I turn on the news and I see murder happening in Ukraine. I, 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 hear, I hear the threats of, of nuclear reta- retaliation for trying to stop it. I hear that. You hear that. I hear the screams from people who are locked down in China. And, and I'm fully aware that there are rich, powerful people in positions of influence across the globe who are working really, really hard to try to bring that totalitarian uh, type of uh, rule and, and, and conquest type of mentality, trying to bring that to, to our shores. I, I see, like you do, I see blatant corruption in, in all kinds of ways. And most recently, the one that's been troubling my heart the most is the, this desire to sexualize children at a young age. It, it's, our, culture, our culture's upside down. It's like whatever God says is right, the culture says is wrong. Whatever Whatever God says is wrong, the culture not only says is right, but celebrates it and wants everybody else to, too. Why am I troubled? Inflation, right, is, is moving us closer towards, towards uh, what they call recession, I guess. And, and the reality of that for us is that everything costs more. That's, that's the world that we're experiencing. Everything costs more. It's not, it's not just uh, my family budget. It's your family budget. And that's one thing, but then, uh, then I look at it from a ministry standpoint, and inflation impacts the church ministry. That's the world that I live in. You know, it's, it's exciting. We've got a full room today. We're going to have a full room again here in, in about an hour and a half. And uh, we've, we've had attendance going up, 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 which is, which is exciting. It's amazing. But we've also seen uh, weekly, weekly giving has been going, as, as inflation goes up, 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 weekly giving goes down, 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 to the point where uh, over the last several months, it's, it's about half what we're, what we're normally used to. And I understand it, 
But where I stand from a, a leadership position is I, I start to wonder, how long is this inflation going to go? Are we going to be able to push through this, right? Those are questions that, that go through my mind. And as those thoughts of fear, as those thoughts of doubt attack my mind and unsettle my heart, I hear Jesus ask, Mark, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? I am alive, and I'm coming back to flip the script on this wicked, broken world, and I will supply your needs. Why are you troubled? I sometimes wonder if, if I'm the only one. I know I'm not, but I sometimes wonder if I'm the only one that, that feels like Peter in Matthew chapter 14. If you don't know that story, you need to check it out. Write down the reference, Matthew 14. Uh, there's a storm uh, that's happening. The disciples are in a boat, and uh, in the middle of the storm, they're scared to death. Jesus is walking on the water, and they're trying to figure out if it's him, if it's a ghost, what's happening. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come out. And, and Jesus says, come. And so Peter steps out of the boat, which is amazing, the amount of faith it took to step out of the boat and onto the water. But as that story unfolds, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was above the waves. But what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus, he focused on the storm around him, and he sank. I sometimes feel that way. I love that, I love that Jesus caught him, I, I love that Jesus rescued him, but then Jesus asked him the same question, Peter, why did you doubt? I wonder if you ever hear Jesus ask you that question. You go back to that, to that room in Luke 24, and you listen to how Jesus responded to their fears, how he responded to their doubts. He said, guys, look at my hands. Look at, look at my feet. It's me. I'm alive. And the whole point he was making, I think, is super powerful. If Jesus can beat death, surely he can overcome my fear. If Jesus can beat death, surely he can overcome my doubts. And for the follower of Jesus, the key to a courageous life, defeating fear, defeating doubt, is knowing that even if whatever it is we're afraid of happens, even if we do drown in the storm, our next breath will be in heaven. And that's flipping the script. What looks like the worst possible outcome can become our best day ever. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Jesus alive means the gospel is true. If you're wondering what Easter has to do with things like marshmallow peeps and bunnies who lay eggs and hide in places, if you're wondering what that has to do with Easter, I would say, I don't know either. I don't, I don't know either. But I can answer the question, what does the resurrection mean for you? I can answer that question. In fact, uh, I took time... Because I didn't want to just say it, I wanted you to have it in your hands so that you could take it with you today and just spend some time. I wrote uh, just a short little few paragraphs on your notes. If you don't have the paper notes when you came in, if you didn't grab that, grab it on the way out. It's on the digital notes. I just wrote uh, what I hope to be a very simple, very direct explanation of what the resurrection means for you. And there's something in there for everyone. There's some, there's, there's some stuff in there if you've never heard the story of the resurrection, there's something in there for you. If you've heard the story of the resurrection like a thousand times, like year after year, and like you know the story, 
but it's never really changed your life, there's something in there for you too. So I would encourage you uh, to, to read that, uh, read that today, spend some time with it. But Jesus alive means that this gospel message of Jesus Christ is true. Jesus alive means that he really, walk, he really will walk with us through painful, sorrow-filled days, that he'll bring us supernatural peace and comfort. Dead people don't do that. But Jesus is alive, and he's made a promise that when we trust him, he says he wants us to pray and, and, and trust him, and he will give us peace that the world can't understand. Jesus alive means that we really can overcome fear and doubts with great courage because Jesus has the power to tell fear to sit down or get out because he's making room for peace. Do you hear Jesus asking you, why are you weeping? Why are you hurting? Why are you crying? It's, if you hear that, it's not because he's asking uh, that question because he, he wants to know what the problem is. It's not that he is unaware. He's not unaware of the funeral that is still fresh on your heart. He's not unaware of the, of the broken marriage that you are still mourning. He's not unaware of the financial stress that you are feeling and, and you're not sure if you're going to be able to make ends meet this month. He's asking because he has the power to flip the script and walk with you and bring you comfort. If he chooses to, to remove the, the problem, if he chooses to, to change the situation, he can do that. But sometimes uh, there's a reason why we have to walk through these painful experiences in life. And I don't have all the answers to that, but God does. But here's the promise. If he chooses to allow you to walk through it, you can be confident that he will walk through it with you. He will hold your hand and, and, and hold you tightly and bring you comfort and peace as you walk through it. Do you hear, do you hear Jesus asking you, why are you troubled? Why is your mind filled with doubt? He's not asking those questions to shame you. He's not asking those questions to make you feel small, but rather to draw your heart back to a place of courage and confidence in the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus flipped the script on death. He flipped the script on sin, and he's coming back to flip the script on a sinful world that thinks it's winning. This world that we live in, they think that we as, as followers of Jesus are losing. That's what they think. But the day is coming when Jesus will slam down the switch places card and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is king and his followers will shout victory in Jesus. If you want to flip the script on your sorrow, if you want to flip the script on your fear and your doubts, then you have to decide whether or not you really believe that Jesus is alive. If you really believe that Jesus is alive, then you can believe that he has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to transform lives. He has the power to change your heart, to calm your fears, to strengthen your faith, and to give you assurance of eternal life. Jesus has the power to flip the script because Jesus is alive. Amen?